Five. Thank you. Good evening. Um, that's called the November 14th, 2002 um, planning board meeting um, to order. And um, Alan, would you mind roll call? Actually, actually, yeah, let's do flag salute first. Board member Sahaba, would you mind leading us? Sure. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States to America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Um, roll call, please. Um, I can go ahead and do the roll call. Mm -hmm. uh, President Ruiz? Here. Uh, board member Arisa? Yes, here. Board member Curtis? Here. Board member Hom? Here. Board member Saheba? Present. Board member Teague? Here. And I, board member Cisneros is not yet president, looks like. We have a quorum. Um, moving on to agenda changes and discussions. Do we have any agenda changes that's not noted on the notice? Uh, none from staff. Thank you very much. Moving on to oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic that's not on the agenda under this item. Do we have any uh, speaker information slip? Seeing none, let's move on to item number six, consent calendar, annual review of Alameda Landing Commercial Project Development. Um, I would like to pull this from the consent calendar and moving on to regular agenda item. Um, do I have a motion? President we don't need do any motion. You don't need a motion. Any board member can pull the consent. Okay. So, so that's now moving on to regular agenda agenda item. So, given that I just pulled item number six A, um, let's start with that. Um, board member T, I understand you have a question. So, why don't I let you um, start on that? Sure. Uh, would you please explain what's going to happen to the surplus funds and the existing TMA when it moves to the new TMA and what can be done with those funds? This is Andrew Thomas, Planning Building Transportation Director. The, the idea here is we have two independent TMAs operating that the Alameda TMA should absorb the Alameda landing TMA. So that means all of its members and its assets would move over to the Alameda TMA, um, including the surplus, which is the, the money that was spent, that was contributed from the Alameda landing property owners to the TMA. So um, <clears throat> under the Alameda landing TDM program, which is still the governing document, whether it's the West Alameda TMA or the 8th Alameda TMA, that's still the the, the governing document um, that indicates that the two things that they sh that the Alameda Landing um, program should be implementing is transit passes and the water shuttle. So, from staff's perspective, ultimately, ultimately, it'd be the board members of the Alameda TMA, which will include representation from Alameda Landing. Ultimately, the, the TMA decides how best to use the money, but. To, if they're following the TDM plan, which they're supposed to, it's going to say you should be funding a water shuttle and AC transit easy passes. 
so that's where the sur I would think the surplus could go to the pilot program for the water shuttle it would be an ideal use of those surplus funds. Thank you. Um, any other board member have questions? If not, I, I'm going to proceed. Okay. My question is that from the report, I understand that the staff is recommending the dissolution of um, West Alameda TMA. What I'm unclear is, um, the and the report also stated that the current free shuttle between the target parking lot to Oakland 12th Street Station is within 50 feet of a AC transit stop, um, bus stop. And what is unclear to me is uh, what's going to happen after the dissolution of um, West Alameda TMA. Does that mean that the shuttle goes away? Or is the, um, the overall Alameda TMA going to continue to operate the shuttle? So um, the, whether it's the West Alameda TMA or the Alameda TMA um, deciding what to do with its resources, because that's the way these are set up, independent nonprofits, which are called transportation management associations, they decide how best to use their money that they collect from their members because the city has imposed annual fees on the members that has to go towards transportation, but the TMA, independent nonprofit with board members making decisions, which are, they represent the people who are actually paying the money, the homeowners associations, the businesses will make, need to make that decision whether to continue the free shuttle or instead use the resources that they collect, the money that the property owners are paying to fund easy passes and AC transit services. What the TDM plan says, which was adopted by the city council and the planning board, says that at the time there was no AC transit service to Alameda Landing. There was no shopping center, there was nothing there, there was no service. So that what the TDM plan said is on day one, start a private shuttle and just run it. When AC transit eventually moves its, its lines to serve then you should transition to easy passes. So okay. that's, if they follow the TDM plan, that's what the Alameda TMA will do. Now, but at the end of the day, it's their decision. It's a separate board that needs to make decisions about how best to use this money. They could decide, no, let's keep it going, the private shuttle for a few more years. They could decide on a transition period. They should, but um, that's what the TDM plan recommends. And when they decide um, to transition one way or the other, is there, would they come back to the council or is it a separate entity? They, they can, they have the auton autonomy to make that decision themselves. They have the autonomy to make those autonomy. decisions themselves. They do need to submit an annual report to the city, the transportation commission and city council every year. Um, and um, so there's input from the city, but at the end of the day, these are independent nonprofits okay. making these decisions about how best to use this money. My only concern in that is from an equity lens, because the, right now my understanding is that easy pass is um, for AC transit is one pass per household. So you're limited to one member of the household benefiting that t from that TDM program. However, the free shuttle, anybody can get on. 
So you are reaching out to more people who are in need rather than limiting the access to that. That's my only concern. And I think when it comes back and city, asking for city input, we should evaluate from that lens as well and looking at the population that we're trying to serve. So that's my question. Um, okay, with that said, do we have a motion to approve the draft resolution? Board Member Teague. I believe we have to have at least open up public comment before we do that. Thank you for the reminder. Now that this is a um, regular agenda item. So um, if there's no further board questions, that's open up for public comments. And then I don't see any hands raised at this time. So no public, public comment standing by. Thank you. Now the, um, let's close that section. Any further board comments? Board member T. Uh, I move uh, to consider resolution, approve the resolution as written. Do we have a second? Uh, I'll second it. Thank you, Vice President Hum. Um, roll call vote, please. Sure. If there's no uh, further discussion. Board member Curtis? Aye. Uh, Teague? Aye. Hom? Aye. Ariza? Aye. Saheba? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. I believe that passes 6-0. Thank you. Now moving on to regular agenda 7A, um, I now yield my chair to Vice President Hom as I need to recuse myself from this item. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Ruiz. Um, Item 7A is a public hearing to consider a development plan, design review, and density bonus application to construct a seven-story, 227-unit multifamily building within a 2.6-acre area of the existing Admiral Cove development, which currently has 150 townhome units. And the project will require demolition of one existing fourplex. Uh, staff report? Uh, yes, thank you, uh, 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 Board Member Hom and uh, the uh, Planning Board. Uh, my name is David Sablon with the Planning, Building, and Transportation uh, Department. Um, I'll be, be presenting uh, the staff report for Item 7A. Um, let me get started here. One second. Okay. Um, yeah, so to uh, start off um, with this project, this is uh, part of the North Housing uh, Development, which was initially a part of the, the Navy and then used by the Coast Guard as, as housing. Um, and in 2017, um, uh, GSA uh, started uh, the process of selling off and auctioning uh, portions of it. Um, Admiral's Cove, which is uh, part of tonight's project, uh, you see here in yellow, uh, is about 15 acres. And um, the developer, Carmel Partners, who's the applicant tonight, uh, preserved 150 of the townhome units. Um, so basically everything that's in the yellow there. Um, they also uh, continued Singleton Avenue and uh, Mosley Ab uh, Avenue. Um, also part of the North Housing Project is about 12 acres or 13 acres, sorry, for uh, Alameda Housing Authority and two acres for Habitat for Humanity. Um, to um, kind of 
set what the framework is that we're, we're reviewing this project under. It's uh, being reviewed under the Housing Crisis Act of uh, 2019, um, often referred to as SB 330. Uh, essentially, what this is for is to to prevent cities from uh, uh, denying or uh, putting on to uh, onerous of conditions of approval uh, for projects uh, that with uh, an affordable inclusionary housing an affordable housing component um, that when they're consistent with the zoning and general plan. Um, it also uh, uh, sets in the standards, uh, policies, and ordinances that were in effect when the preliminary application was filed uh, for this project. The preliminary application first came in in, in May of 2022 uh, this year. Um, and so what we were reviewing it against is our zoning, zoning ordinance, uh, the general plan, which was adopted uh, last November, and the objective design review standards that were uh, last updated in February 2021. Um, also, uh, part of this project are the density bonus uh, waivers. Um, so when a project uh, provides 16% or 5% very low income uh, units at affordable rates, um, what they're entitled to is a 20% density bonus over um, their base plan. And I'll go over that in a second. Unlimited waivers from development regulations and one concession um, to reduce uh, site development standards or modify the zoning code. Um, and so the base plan is essentially uh, what you see uh, on your screen here. It's uh, what the developer could um, build if they met all the current uh, standards and did not have to request any waivers. Um, you see the, the the site layout. It's very uh, it's taking up a, a, about two and a half acres of open area um, uh, on the project uh, site. Um, and the, the project itself, uh, the base plan, I'm sorry, uh, has a uh, underground garage and uh, four stories, uh, which is uh, allowed in the multifamily overlay district that the project's in, um, uh, which would allow up to 45 feet. Um, so for lack of a better term, uh, the applicant has submitted a final plan based on uh, that base plan uh, of adding 20% uh, density bonus uh, to get to a total of 227 units. Um, because the site is constrained in this infill development, um, the only way that uh, the applicant uh, discovered that they can fit those extra units is to uh, to go up instead of expanding the building out. Um, and also, uh, the costs associated with building an underground parking garage specifically, especially in this area, which is part of a, a marsh crust um, and be subject to potentially more uh, uh, review. Um, they are proposing service surface parking lot and uh, a two or one and a half, two story uh, parking garage. Um, the the driveway uh, comes in off of Mosley Avenue um, and, and goes uh, south uh, and then before hitting a um, uh, emergency vehicle access, which then would allow um, a secondary access point to uh, the street below. Um, let's see. So uh, here we, we're looking, um, the top picture is uh, the front elevation as seen from Mosley Avenue, um, in particular, the, the bottom floor is the main entrance that has the lobby, uh, leasing office and a co-working space. Um, and Let's see, here is um, some more elevations of the sides of the buildings. Um, so to get into, uh, I guess, the, the meat of the project uh, is the density bonus waivers. Um, the 
first three here are kind of the, the, the easier ones to discuss. Uh, required front yard is a minimum uh, 20 feet. Um, they're proposing five feet again to fit the building in the existing space that they have. Um, private open space is required to have 60 square feet of, uh, of a balcony uh, per unit. Um, their, their plans because of the design of the building um, Six units will have won't won't have uh, excuse me balconies and fifty two are just under between you know forty five to fifty nine uh, nine square feet so they're under the that minimum size um, and then uh, standard and compact parking ratio the city's uh, parking uh, guidelines uh, require that at least fifty percent of the spaces are standard size and based on their parking lot layout and, and parking garage layouts um, they are one space short of fifty percent. Um, more, I guess, uh, in-depth or, or challenging uh, waivers are the building height. Um, as, as mentioned before, uh, the multifamily uh, zoning uh, allows for up to four stories or 45 feet. Um, the applicant is proposing uh, 74 feet, uh, seven stories. Uh, again, the reasoning being that to include those uh, affordable units or in the extra units uh, afforded by the density bonus, they would have to go up as opposed to out. Um, and so uh, the applicant provided the city with a shade study. Um, you hear, see here on the top row, starting at the right-hand side, um, is a study of what the shade would look like um, December 22nd, um, which is when the, the shades are at their most dramatic or at the sunset at slowest angle, um, that the, the shade from the building does uh, start uh, across the street, but it does move across this uh, across uh, the park and doesn't uh, obscure the park uh, for the entire day. It's um, the the shade itself is is gone by by noon. So there's no uh, consistent impact on the neighboring properties uh, by the shade because it's moving. Um, and then. There's a request for bike parking waiver and concession. Um, they're required to provide uh, one long-term space per unit um, and, and two uh, short-term spaces per 10 units. So that comes out to 227 long-term and um, 46 short-term, I'm sorry, 30, yeah, 46 short-term. And so what they provide is 172 long-term and 30 short-term. And so they're, they're requesting a waiver uh, initially staff uh, in the staff report doesn't support didn't support the waiver. Um, however, um, you know, if the planning board does decide that they, they want to uh, approve this waiver if they feel that, um, yes, this this uh, this development standard is uh, you know, too too restrictive for the, the applicant staff is uh, recommending um, that the density bonus uh, waiver conditions uh, be amended uh, to reflect the, the approval uh, of the bike parking waiver and to eliminate condition number eight in the draft resolution. Um, and then also um, staff also has uh, some amendments to the staff report, or I'm sorry, to the draft resolution in addition to that bike waiver um, discussion is uh, to add a little bit more uh, clarity in the condition number six and condition number 22 to uh, add the, the basically that the, the fees are subject or locked into when the application was first submitted. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, the applicant is here with their architect team and um, they, they plan to have a, a presentation to kind of go into the project a little bit more in depth, but um, I'm available for any questions for the staff report. Okay, thank you, David. And at this point, uh, entertaining any clarifying questions from board members? And I don't see everyone on my screen, so I apologize if I don't catch a raised hand. 
Okay, I see um, board member Teague. Yes, thank you. Um, what are the limits in terms of waivers? So in terms of the height limit, what are the allowed limits? So if they had more, could they have gone to 100 feet? Uh, is there basically no limit to the height? Um, um, in, in a way, yes, but uh, you know, at a certain point, the city would might you know at a, a certain height there there would be uh actual uh, adverse impacts uh in the neighborhood or to the city and so that's when um we would have to kind of look at it in more depth and and um you know possibly you know not approve that okay and then the, the next question is if for example the developer decided to wait until after the housing element and zoning was done would they be able to build significantly more houses than they're currently planning? Uh, awesome. I believe so, yes. Um, I think it would be possible. Yeah. Um, but under under SP 330, there I is under, a, I understand. Yeah. I, this was kind of like a hint, hint to the developer if they wanted to build more, it's up to them. But building more is good in my book. So I'm uh, just asking the question. Okay, uh, thank you. Any other board questions? Yeah, um, Vice President Hum. Uh, um, thank you. I just had a question for staff. Uh, the, the current open space where this building is proposed, you, you said there will, um, there, there will be some demolition, right? Of some current homes on yeah, so there's uh, currently um, 300 Mosley Avenue. It's a four-unit um, townhome building, and uh, uh, we wrote the the staff report and, and um, uh, resolution uh, kind of as a as a worst case scenario where they do uh, need to demo it and not replace it somewhere else. But the app, um, applicant does um, plan to look into uh, relocating the building somewhere else on site, um, and so that. Uh, you know, that description is kind of in there so that uh, if it turns out that they are unable to find a location on site, we don't have to come back and, and get approval to demo that building. Okay. Um, so the application currently is um, based on demoing that building and relocating it, or, or sorry, not demoing it, but relocating, actually relocating. Yeah, that's, that's the, 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 intention of the developer it's um at this stage they haven't looked into specific locations and, and how that would work um but that's something that they definitely will be working on to try to preserve it um those those four units okay and then uh is this open space currently common open space for the residents that are there right now and is it being utilized in such fashion or What's what 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 is I the mean, status of this open space? Yeah, it's propose? yeah, it's it's common open space. It's um, I, I don't know about the the usage or how how well it's used, um, but it is a common open space for the existing development. Um, it's uh, a lot larger than what what is is required, um, and so that's why you know there's other locations on the property to maintain um, the the required open space, common open space for the project. Okay, sounds good. And then just my last question is just, um, I may have missed it, but is there, is there light, uh, an actual lighting design for the, uh, for this site plan? 
No, not at not at this time. It's still being worked on. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Those are all my questions. Okay. Thank you. Uh, board member Curtis, you have some questions. Yes. Thank you, um, Vice President Hahn. My question concerns um, safety. And has there been a study done of the ingress and egress at this new configuration of the building with the number of floors with regard to emergency vehicles and evacuation plans for the building? Yes, this was uh, reviewed by the fire department uh, during the during the plan, during the, this whole process, and so they. Were and there were no comments with regard to safety. Uh, no. Thank you. Any other board questions? Okay, I do have a couple of questions myself. Um, um, what type of outreach was there to the adjacent residents? on this project uh it was the standard um mailing out notices to property owners uh within 300 feet uh, posting notice on the site and uh the ad in the newspaper was there any community meetings with the residents um i you'd probably will have to ask the uh, applicant or applicant that i I'm, do know that they've spoken are in con you know, contact with the residents of the building that will be either moved or demolished Okay, made an applicant can address that yeah. later on. Um, second question, though the fourplex that's being demolished, are there existing tenants in them? And if there are, is there a relocation plan? <laughs> or do they, have, do they have a first right of refusal or anything along that line? Yeah, so the city has a rent control uh, ordinance that uh, addresses situations like this where, um, you know, properties are being uh, improved and so residents have to be moved. And so there's a requirement um, that they uh, uh, demonstrate that they've, uh, you know, given the proper uh, uh, relocation, permanent relocation uh, reimbursement or um, uh, uh, comparable, you know, comparable uh space somewhere else in the development. And I know the applicant has been uh, talking to those residents about that uh, potential. Okay. And then my last question is, I, it's, with the addition of the clarification of the lock-in of the fees at the time of application submittal, since you're adding it in, is that the standard city requirement or is that and this is no, this is a, a specific to the SB 330 uh, portion so that okay. um, specifically like our, our fee schedules were updated in July 2022. Um, so since okay. they yeah, initially submitted in May, they, they okay. used the okay. old one. Okay. At this point, I believe, uh, staff, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we're going to allow the applicant to provide a presentation? Correct. Yes. Okay. So. Uh, so uh, who's who is speaking for the applicant? Uh, Vice President Hall, I believe Board Member Riza has her hand up. Oh, sorry, 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 Board Member <laughs> didn't see that. It's yeah. it's okay. Um, I I just have a quick question. So, are the the adjacent um townhouses are those rental units or are they privately owned? Those are rental units. Okay, so they were notified of the project. The, the renters or not? Uh, not by uh, the public notice. Okay. Oh, okay. Just just to clarify, David. So the 300 foot notice was just went out to the property owner, not the tenants? Um, 
No, I think that that's incorrect. Um, no. Our current public notices go out to the uh, property, including the units and occupants. No. Oh, so, okay. So tenants okay. would have been notified. And thanks for clarifying, Alan. Okay. Uh, any other board questions at this point? Otherwise, going to ask applicant to give a opportunity to present your project. Um, I'd like to request that you keep it to ten minutes. That. That is what we're planning for, Mr. Hom. Um, so I think we'll dive right in. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, my name is Adam Meyer. I work for Carmel, Carmel Partners, developing and renovating apartment communities throughout the Bay Area. I really like to first thank the planning board, the hard work of city staff, and the entire public community for its time to learn about our proposed project at Admiral's Cove. We have selected a highly sought after consultant team, including Brenna Weaver from BD Architects, Kevin Wong from BKF Civil Engineers, and Marco Lay from Gazardo Partnership, all with extensive experience in Alameda who take great pride in their design. Carmel is a national multifamily investment company headquartered in San Francisco. Something unique about us, what makes us different is our start to finish platform. We control the investment, so the money to build a project is already committed. We manage the development itself. We are the general contractor and we oversee management when the building is in operations. Soup to nuts. This makes us a good neighbor and a long-term partner with the city. Today, we've completed over 43,000 apartments nationally and are currently in design or construction for an additional 1,200 units in the Bay Area. We strive to make a positive impact to the communities in which we invest, proven by our track record right here in Alameda. I personally oversaw the Panamar, formerly known as Marina View Towers, where we completed a major voluntary seismic retrofit to this marina community. And at the same property we're discussing this evening, Admiral's Cove, where we took a property vacant for over 10 years and turned it into a thriving community. And now I'd like to pass the presentation over to my colleague, Greg Pasquale, to dive deeper into the project. Thank you. Thanks, Adam, and good evening, planning board and staff. My name is Greg Pasquale. I'm the Vice President of Development for Carmel Partners. Uh, as Adam mentioned, we have a long history in Alameda and with this property. We actually came before planning board in 2017 and city council in early 2018 to establish the zoning that allows the multifamily residential use here at 30 units to the acre by removing the G overlay and confirming that density at the time. We started the townhome renovations that Adam led in 2018 and we completed in 2020 and notably, those townhomes are just 10 units per, the, per acre, which is a pretty low density on an island that's looking to accommodate more housing, 150 units on 15 acres. So the proposed project we're discussing tonight fills in the property and brings it to a little over 25 units to acre, which is along the lines of that 30 that was discussed five years ago. I also want to point out that in addition to renovating townhomes, we've done a a lot, I mean, years of work in partnership with the city and the neighbors, um, specifically demolishing a bunch of vacant buildings on the housing authority's property, um, providing advice and insight and support to Habitat, building the new public roads, connecting Mosley and Singleton to the city's network, and also installing all new water, sewer, power, and telecom utilities throughout this area that are designed not just to service those 150 existing townhomes, um, but we're actually sized to accommodate the roughly 600 units at the Housing Authority uh, the Habitat site and 
a future building as we're proposing tonight. Uh, we're really excited about this project, this phase, because this is exactly the kind of location where we as a region need to be putting more housing. It is existing developed land where housing can be added with limited environmental impact. It has sufficient utility capacity. I just talked about, we know because we built it uh, to have capacity for us, for our neighbors, for the Alameda Unified School District owned properties in the area. Um, this site's walkable to Ruby Bridges Elementary School, the ferry terminal, the park, grocery, pharmacy, restaurants. This is the stuff people want to live around that makes for good housing. Um, the site also importantly has really clear public policy set by you working with staff and city council most recently through the general plan and now the latest housing element draft that specifically identifies this infill project uh, in the housing element. So that policy says this is the kind of housing the city of Alameda wants here. Uh, and with that really clear guidance that you've provided, our job is just to implement your vision and city council and staff's vision that you have set out for the area. So this project, we first submitted a concept to city staff over a year ago. And thanks to the work of David, Allen, and Andrew and the planning department, as, as well as a number of meetings with Alameda Fire and Public Works, this project has really come a long way, <laughs> tracking it from left to right across the screen. Um, our early plans would have demolished too many of these really special townhomes. Uh, we want to keep all of these if we can. These are good family housing units. They have private backyards. We, we wanna preserve them where we can. We've refined the design to be more simple and elegant, to fit more comfortably with the surrounding buildings we own, and to really only impact that one building that we are going to try to preserve. I'll talk about that more in a minute, but I want to let our architects from BDE tell you about the design of the project tonight. So I'm gonna hand over to Brenna. Thanks, Greg. I'm Brenna with BDE Architecture. And um, on the next slide, we're gonna start off by looking at the site plan. And as you can see, it's a long linear building situated between the townhomes. We're actually surrounded by the townhomes on three sides, and we have a small street frontage along Mosley Avenue. On one side of the building, we have the surface level parking with our two garage entries. And on the other side of the building, the left side, we have an exterior amenity space. As you can see, um, primarily the first floor is parking with some back of house spaces. We do have some amenity spaces that are highlighted in blue. So we have the leasing, lobby, and co-working uh, at the front of the building along Mosley. And then further into the site, we have our fitness and lounge amenity spaces. And that opens up onto an exterior amenity space that includes exterior fitness, barbecues, pools, and various seating arrangements. On the next slide, we're gonna look at a view of the project from Mosley. So um, our main, our main uh, goal when designing this project was to tie into the existing buildings. And those existing buildings have a bit of a nautical feel. And so we wanted to allude to that and tie into those existing buildings by our use of materiality and color. Another thing is in this view, we're looking at the um, primary entry of the building. And you can see that we're trying to highlight the entry by the use of um, storefront materials, uh, balancing that against a solid material on the first floor. We're also highlighting the first floor entry experience with a slope soffit. That slope soffit has a, a wood-like accent material on it. You'll see a little bit later in the presentation that that design feature is a nod to the existing buildings as well. Um, on the top floor, we have a roof deck with glass railing around it, and then an amenity space that also has that same sloped soffit with a wood-like accent material. 
In this view as well, you can see some of the architectural moves we are making. Um, there really is a focus on pushing in and pulling out. So you can see that we're using bays on floors two through six. The bays have a deck at the top um, with a glass railing and an awning above it. And then about in the middle of a building, you can see in the gray, we have recess decks. So we're really thinking about the um, extrusion and recesses along this building in order to add articulation to this long linear building. As I mentioned previously, the primary materials, um, we really wanna tie into the existing project. So we're using cement plaster and uh, shiplap siding. We are also using uh, various balcony strategies. So we have some balconies with metal railings and some back balconies with glass railings to provide a variety along the facade. In the next image, you'll see a view of the garage. This is from interior of the site. You'll also see on the left-hand side, a landscape buffer to the townhomes. And then you can also see in white, um, some of our metal screens that we use at the garage openings. On the next slide, we're gonna look at the floor plans. Uh, we already looked at the first floor plans together. Uh, on the left-hand side here, we have our typical residential floor plan. And this building is made up of uh, all one and two bedroom units. So we have 58% one bedrooms, 42% two bedrooms. On the right side of this slide is our top floor building. And as you saw in that first rendering, the um, at the front of the building, we have a roof terrace. And in blue, you see another amenity space that we are calling the Sky Lounge. And here's our material board. So down on the lower right-hand side, you'll see the clubhouse of the existing Admiral's Cove building. And um, as I mentioned, the slope soffit with the wood-like material, we are, we're taking cues from this project and using it in our current proposed design. This material board shows some of the materials that we are using on the project. As I mentioned, number one and two are showing our primary materials, cement plaster and shiplap siding. The colors that we are using on the project are primarily grays, blues, and whites, again, as a nod to that nautical kind of theme. And then we have some precedent images of the elements I mentioned earlier. So we have images of the two types of balconies that we are proposing. The image in number five shows the type of awning that we are proposing at the top level. Image number six shows the metal screens that we we're proposing at the garage openings. Seven shows the vinyl windows that we're proposing at residential units. And at eight, we're showing an image of the storefronts which would be used at all of our amenity spaces. And finally, nine is that uh, accent material that we're proposing for the soffits at the entries and at the roof deck amenity space. And with that, I'm gonna hand it back to Greg. Thanks, Brenna. A couple of item, other items we wanted to address in closing. I think uh, actually David did a great job in his presentation overall, but in particular of touching on the height shadow question. Um, two other items just to address some questions. There is one existing building, 300 Mosley, that's a four unit building that'll be impacted by the proposed project. We really want to relocate this building if we can. We have reached out over the past year to a number of contractors that move buildings. Um, and you know, we, we are going to keep after working with them to get somebody who can commit and execute it if we can. Um, and if it's not possible, we will have to demolish it. The staff report, the CEQA analysis, tonight's motion suggests demolition. Um, but from the very first application we filed with the city, we have you know, said we really want to be preserving this and just moving it on the site if we can. We've identified a location where we believe it can go. Um, and I think staff is just doing the responsible thing and uh, analyzing demolition as the higher impact. Um, but 
that is just one of the possibilities. Um, and for background, this is a four unit building. One unit is vacant, three uh, are occupied and uh, our management has reached out to those tenants and we will work closely with them on a suite of accommodations, both because the uh, Alameda code requires it, but also because we wanna keep good tenants. These are good tenants, we wanna keep them. We have 146 other units that are all actually nearly identical, three and four bedroom floor plans. This whole existing property, 150 units, two floor plans, three bedroom, four bedroom. So we are optimistic that we can make this uh, transition if we need to move them uh, seamless and smooth for them. Uh, and finally, following project approval tonight, we will work with planning staff to process an administrative lot line adjustment so that the new building would sit on an independent parcel separate from the 150 or 146 townhomes. Uh, the reason is to get a construction loan for the new building, banks will require it to be on its own lot. This is straightforward though, because there are actually already two parcels out here today, we would just be shifting an existing lot line. Uh, with that, I'd like to thank you for your time and consideration and our team, including our landscape architect, civil engineer and attorney are all here with us tonight to answer your questions. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Before we uh, open it up for a public hearing, I'd like to provide an opportunity for board members to ask the applicant or staff some additional questions. And I see uh, board member Teague's hand raised. Yeah, I I missed it somewhere, but what is the compliance with the universal design in terms of visitability, adaptability, and livability? I can answer that. Yeah, we will be meeting all, this project is a, since it's privately funded, we're required to meet CBC chapter 11A uh, with all the accessibility requirements and all our units are designed to those requirements as well as our public and amenity spaces. Well, I mean, Cal, uh, Alameda has our own ordinance, which talks about a certain percent, you know, adaptable, livable yeah. and a hundred percent visitable. Yes. Um, so the, since this uh, building has an elevator, um, essentially all the units will have visitability, uh, uh, will be, you know, visitable, have that, that requirement, so. And in terms of the rest of the ordinance, is it in compliance? Uh, well, it's a condition of approval that they, they be in compliance, so they would have to provide, I believe it's the 30% uh, of the units. Okay, I, I appreciate very much the developer not asking for a waiver on that, like almost every other development is. So thank you very much for that. Any other questions, Board Member Teague? Okay, if not, uh, I see uh, Board Member Ariza has her hand up also. Um, yes, I'm just wondering if um, there were any other master planning options considered other than just raising the height um, up to seven stories of the complete full floor plan. There were, and the challenge we had was meeting fire code and ensuring life safety to the building. Um, as you can see, it's a very small frontage on Mosley. And to make sure that there's adequate fire access, we couldn't have a building of this scale or even close to this scale with only that small access off of Mosley. So we had to provide substantial additional fire access along one of the long facades of the building. Once we had that road, we looked at a variety of other shapes for this building. And what we found is that they either removed 
more than uh, that one building that we're hoping to be able to relocate that would have removed more of the existing three and four bedroom family scale townhomes, which we didn't want to do, um, or they just weren't fire accessible. So this was the kind of most elegant solution to the problem. Okay, thanks. Any other um, board member questions of the applicant or staff? Yeah, Vice President Hum, it's Sasha Sharon. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's your hand up. Go oh. ahead, uh, Board Member Sahiba. Okay. Just, just two questions. One is, uh, do all the amenities that are being developed for this new project, uh, are, they util are, are they able to be used by the current townhome uh, folks as well? Adam, do you want to address that one? Sure. Um, this is considered one property. Um, and so um, the concept here is that um, it is managed as one facility um, and that's the way it's designed. So um, the idea is this is one large community managed and open to everyone. Okay, and then um, just my second question. With the bike parking, was there a reason why with um, developing the scale of this project that uh, that could not be met, that a waiver is being um, pursued for, for bike parking? So let's split the bike parking question into two pieces. The long-term bicycle parking is about kind of indoor and closed secured bicycle parking. Um, the challenge we're having is that for these units to be marketable, uh, you know, we we really respect all of the efforts that are being made through the TMA, but we believe that the residents, um, even having only one car per unit, is going to be a challenge uh, for many of them. And so, it's important to the success of this building that there be uh, at least one parking space per unit. If we were to grow the amount of long-term bicycle parking within the building that would come at either the expense of units because we would be growing space in the garage, which you can actually see on the second floor of the building, the garage and units share that level. So growing things in the garage takes away space from units or it takes away parking, which functionally then reduces the viability of the units. So the long-term parking was not uh, meetable. We also, from our experience, managing thousands of units, um, you know, we've, it's our belief that 172 bike parking spaces is very much plenty for a project of this scale. Uh, with regard to the offsite, <clears throat> not the offsite, the short-term bicycle parking, the reduction from 46 to 30. Um, this building is already, uh, you know, we're working very hard to preserve that privacy and preserve the open space, kind of green space between the buildings that exists out there today. I hope that some of you have had a chance to go out there. It's a really special place to walk around these green paths between the buildings. And we wanted to maintain that. And by filling it with bicycle parking, um, we were concerned that, you know, we were starting to lose some of that. We think 30 parking spaces, 30 short-term bike parking spaces is plenty um, for a building of this scale in our experience operating buildings like this. I think it's pretty rare that 30 will be used um, if ever that they'll all be used at once. Um, and so, you know, we just didn't wanna overtake all that space. And it's it's just the challenge of trade-offs in, in field design and planning like this. 
Okay, thanks. I will say just on the exterior bike parking that in working with city staff from the original application to where we landed today, we've added them a lot and thought not only at the front of the property, but at the pool deck and towards the rear side of the property. And so we've tried to add as much as we can that works from a design perspective. Any other questions from board members at this point? I do have a couple of questions and one of my questions following up on the bike rack question. I, I guess elaborate a little bit more for me why providing 16 additional bike parking spaces in the landscaping somehow compromises the open space. I'm having a hard time rationalizing and, and, I, and I guess I've never heard of asking for a waiver for bike racks. So that was that I found that kind of unusual. So can you elaborate why it's so problematic to provide 16 additional you know, bike bike spaces in your landscaped area? Well, I think there's there's two parts. It's the space and actually the outdoor, the short-term bike parking. Yeah, I'm talking about the short term. Session, not a waiver. So it's about a it's a request for a cost reduction that we're entitled to under state density bonus law. Um, but in terms of kind of part of the driver is that if you look around this site, we're using a lot of that open space, both for um, resident amenity. And we think that things like, you know, outdoor gathering areas and fitness will be higher value and use than 16 more bike parking spaces. We're also using a lot of it for stormwater management, a number of the areas where we did look at adding. And as Adam mentioned, we did increase this number well above what we originally proposed because staff pushed back and to their credit, right? We, we worked with them and we heard their feedback and, and made those ads. But a lot of this other space is occupied by things like access to transformers, access to building entries, stormwater management space, pathways for residents, and things that we said in the grand scheme of trade-offs we're trying to do a lot of different things with this space. And some of the places that seem at the you know plan level when you're just looking down at an 11 by 17 picture is, oh, you could just drop eight more racks there. Um, they're actually highly conflicted. And again, I would just circle back to the, you know, partly it's a trade-offs in space question. And partly it's that uh, under state density bonus law, we do have the discretion to elect our concession. This is a cost reduction incentive concession. Um, we will not spend the money to build the footings and the bicycle parking racks. And that is what we've chosen to use our one concession granted under state density bonus law for. Okay. And uh, to kind of follow up on a question I had earlier, can you uh, explain the public outreach you did to the tenants in the adjacent um, townhomes or apartments? And so the city mailed um, to the tenants and to property owners within a set radius. With, with, within, when, I mean, outside of maybe the required city noticing, did you do hold any community meetings with tenants? We did not hold community impact? meetings, but our property management staff have been available to them in answering questions. Um, and so we've had you know, a number of meetings with our property management staff who have been the interface with the existing tenants. So the, the plans were on display in your management office for tenants to view? They were available on request. On request. And how did the tenants know about the proposed project? Well, before, they got it Before notice. the city perceived and before uh, city staff sent out the notice. 
<clears throat> that's a good question. I know that they were talking about it. I know that there's an active community on Facebook. Um, so I know that we were getting questions and we were responding to questions and helping our management staff respond to questions. Okay, okay. Um, let's see, you, architectural design, in the presentation maybe is the question for your architect. You mentioned that you were trying to incorporate nautical features into the architecture to kind of mimic maybe the, the surrounding uh, development. Um, can you elaborate on that? Because quite honestly, in looking at the plans, I'm not sensing where the nautical elements. Yeah, primarily the color palette that's being used throughout the project. Again, the blues, the grays, the whites, a very soft color palette. Um, and that was also, again, tying into the existing townhomes, had that same color palette. And then the use of that wood accent material proposed on the bottoms of the soffit. Okay, okay. All right, thanks. So mainly a color palette. Not yep. any necessarily architectural, obvious architectural features. Yeah, nothing like formal. Okay, okay. I would also, again, I'm not sure if you've had the opportunity to visit the existing property and walk through the space, but from the moment you walk into the leasing office, there are a number of nautical maps, there's old nautical rope, there are a number of features that may not show up at a plan at this level, but are this theme that goes through a lot of the interior design of the property that does go beyond colors. And we expect to carry that kind of branding and that identity through the new build. Okay, okay. And, and this is kind of a more of a question for staff. Um, I noticed that these balconies kind of hang off of the building. They're not like integrated into the facade. Like I saw one example in, in your kind of samples that shows a balcony is a little bit more integrated or you know set into a building. Does our design standards have any requirement about having the balconies a little bit more integrated into the, the building rather than kind of hanging off like what I see on the plans? Um, I'm not familiar with anything in our design standards about that. I don't know. Um, okay, I just yeah. wanted to just check. Make sure. Yeah, I don't believe it gets into that level of requirement. I know that um, we are the AMC has a requirements defining that the balconies have to be unenclosed. So, so the spirit is to encourage balconies to be open um, rather than having it having it be surrounded by walls on several sides. Okay. 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 But those are my questions, and I guess at this point. Um, no, I had some oh, follow-up oh. questions. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, your hand is your hand is blended into your paint color. Yeah, go ahead, a board member Sahiba. <laughs> no worries. Um I maybe this question more for staff. Uh the waivers that were be being um pursued as far as open space goes, does that go to the existing townhomes as well that are adjacent to the property for open space? Because I see that unless I'm um, not reading these plans completely um, clearly, are some of the parking and maybe some of the amenities on flanking either side of the building, they're um, essentially going into what is currently the yards of those townhomes. So is that part of what- Yeah, so, so the existing yards are, are larger than what is uh, the minimum required for private open space. And so what's being preserved meets those requirements. Okay, so something is being preserved back there to yeah. allow for 
those open space areas. Okay, I see. And then what what currently is there just a shed back there and the current townhomes? Is that what's it, being eliminated? The what's well, in the backyard in the backyard is there are some of the unit types have sheds, some of them have storage that's built off the back of the building. So there's two different types. Okay. Um, the concept here is uh, to ensure that we're providing storage for the residents. There's plenty of interior storage too. And so it's just weighing out the balance, whether we put a storage shed back there for remove them, or since we're shrinking the backyards, we wanna keep all that square footage functional, right? And since there's so much storage on the inside, um, I don't think, I think it's still desirable. If you look at the backyards adjacent to the new club of the clubhouse that was built for the townhomes, those backyards were cut back um, mm -hmm. for the same reason, right? Because we're doing an infill. And if you walk in those backyards, they're still larger than basically anything else you can get on the market. And so um, they're still quite nice backyards for folks, you know, call it 10 feet deep, roughly. I see. Okay, thank you. Okay, if there's no further clarifying questions from board members, at this point, I'll open up the public hearing. Uh, members of the public would like to speak please raise your hand and to get recognized and you will have three minutes to voice your comments. Um, Alan, I, I'm not, I don't think I have access to see who is raising their hand. So I might need some assistance. Okay. okay. Uh, we have one uh, speaker waiting. His name is William Schumacher. Okay. Um, William, Mr. Schumacher. You have three. Oh, there you are, Mr. Schumacher. You have three minutes. Go ahead. Start the timer, please. Hello. Uh, thank you, board members, for giving me this opportunity to speak. I am currently a resident uh, at Admiral's Cove, uh, specifically on Lakehurst Street. And I'm just wondering why this proposal is proposed to build a structure basically in my backyard when we have two vacant lots, one across the street of um, the building that's being proposed. And in the presentation that the applicant did and uh, Mr. Sablon did, uh, the picture for what's actually across the street of Lakehurst is actually buildings in the presentation, but visually like right now in real life, there is no buildings there. It's just a vacant lot. Um, so I'm just curious why we would propose building a building back there versus in a vacant lot where we're not affecting the current tenants and we're still expanding our community to bring new members in. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Schumacher. Any other public comments? Uh, yes, uh, yes, we have, we have um, Jenna Stokes. Stokes. Um, Ms. Stokes? You have, you have three minutes. You might, oh, oh, Jenna Stokes. Thank you. Uh, hopefully you can hear me now. Um, yes, I hear you fine. Great, thank you. Um, I am also a resident at Admiral's Cove and um, to speak to a bit of the notice discussion that was happening, um, we just received the city notice notifying us of a public hearing. Um, I did not speak to our leasing office about plans, but it was not offered to me either. Um, so, you know, we got the notice that just said that the Monday before the hearing, we could log in and see them just like anyone else. So to the extent they were otherwise available from the leasing office, um, it wasn't affirmatively offered to us. 
and um, the discussion prior just got into the yard issue. And I just wanted to highlight like through this building, we lose essentially all of our common area open space. Right now it is a really significantly, like it's, it's a nice open park area. We have grills, we have a dog park. And in this plan, the building is right on that open space. And then on top of that, it looks like you know, six to eight buildings are losing essentially their entire yard and turning it into more of like a patio size, which I agree is um, still good for the market, but it's not, people here have largely moved here for the yards because it is very unique. And so we pretty much all have dogs and this was what made the property special to us. And so I'm not sure, there was a lot of conversation about outreach to the residents in the building that would be demolished. And so I, on the current plan, my building is not one that would have the yard reduced. Um, so I don't know if there was outreach to the people who would have their yards way cut back, but I would be interested to know if that has happened and what the plan is for that, because between the you know community outdoor space being essentially eliminated, I mean, compared to what we have now, it's incredibly reduced. So in addition to that, also losing most of your yard um, is a big loss. And so I would be curious to know what the plan is for those, those residents who are losing um, both of those sources of outdoor space. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Stokes. Um, any other hands raised for public comments this time? Yes, yes we have, we have um, Erica Holman. Okay. Um, Erica Holman, please be my guest, and you have three minutes. Hi, uh, this is. Hi. Hi, this is Erica. We we were both here, but Naresh is going to speak for both of us. Okay, so, that's fine. We're so both we, residents. We here. were we were watching the live stream, and I just realized it was a little behind. So we heard the question about why aren't we using the space that is across the street and you know on the side of the street? And we missed the answer there. I jumped over, and someone was talking about sort of communication. Uh, a couple of things we wanted to say was one, we want to clarify that this. This comes as a little bit of a surprise because we had heard rumors almost a year ago. And then when we clarified, they were like, absolutely, you know, we were effectively told there are no such plans to the extent that, you know, when we were renewing our leases, we were sort of told that, yeah, there is, you know, we will, we will let you know there is no such plan. So the only reason for, you know, the only sort of huge concern for us is we recently re renewed our lease. We are one of the houses which will be fully demolished. Um, and sort of, you know, given the recession, given sort of everything else, it's a little bit concerning if you're asked to move, you know, when I am on a visa and if I'm suddenly asked to move, uh, that can sort of, you know, result in a lot of visa paperwork. Like if I change my location, if I were to move to a different city, different sort of town, um, it, it opens up a lot of issues. And I am kind of a little horrified finding out that this might be a few months away from now. Uh, so I just wanted to sort of share that, that we actually have received zero official communication. There's always been a... And not only that, we, when we asked the, the office management here, we've asked our neighbors, we talked to our neighbors, they've asked, they've always denied knowing anything about it. So that's, I think, what comes as a major shock. Okay. Well, well thank you, um, Mr. and Mrs. Holman. Appreciate your comments. Um, and uh, perhaps applicant after we're, we're done can address some of the uh, public hearing questions. Any other speakers? Uh, no further speakers at this time. Okay. Um, maybe at this time, I'd like to give an opportunity for the applicant to respond if they wish to any of the questions raised by the speakers. 
Sure, thank you. Um, I think with regard to the first speaker, he raised some vacant lots. Um, I know he was referring to the one across Lakehurst, which is owned by the Alameda Housing Authority, and they do have approved plans to uh, construct a building there. I don't know any update as to their timing, but maybe um, David or Andrew Thomas uh, can speak to that. Um, the other thing I'd say, you know, with regard to the other tenants, uh, somebody did mention, you know, the uncertainty of the current recession. Uh, we are, you know, working through this right now, but uh, given current construction costs and interest rates, uh, this is this is not an imminent proposal. No one is going to be relocated anytime within probably a year, at least, given the amount of time that it would take uh, to design a building, to permit a building, even if we were to start into it right away. But, you know, the financial markets today, um, this is not kind of going forward. There's no way this project starts in 2023. Um, and so we will work with tenants. Um, any tenants impacted will be offered options uh, to relocate within the property if they are available uh, and other, you know, concessions to address impacts of construction or, you know, any changes. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, Board Member Teague, do you have a question for the applicant or do you want, to? okay. Okay, at this point, if there's no further public comments, I'm gonna close the public hearing and open it up for board discussion. And Board Member Teague, you had your hand up. Did you wanna start off? Yes, thank you very much. I'd like to thank staff, uh, the applicant and the members of the public who are speaking on this. Uh, I, I really want to be clear, this is an SB 330 project, and what we can do and what we can't do is strictly defined by state law. So given that the applicant is in compliance with the requirements of SB 330, they are meeting the uh, defined objective standards, uh, there's very little that we can do in terms of denying this project, not that I potentially would deny this project. Um, to all of the tenants who are there, Alameda has very strong uh, protections for tenants. You have very significant rights um, and you should be talking to uh, the rent program people to understand your options, uh, to make sure that you are treated according to the Alameda ordinance that covers uh, tenants. Um, and they are the people who will give you the best advice. Uh, this project is extremely good in terms of bringing housing. It does have impacts. And you know, given the, the constraints that we're in, I will be supporting this project in, and I don't see uh, that their waivers are things that are objectionable. Uh, the concession is, okay, it's a concession. That's, they get to ask for it, they get it as part of the density bonus. So um, I am appreciative that they are doing what they can. Uh, the, Alameda rent control ordinance is pretty strict. It will be interesting to see how this falls in terms of, 
you know, is this a capital improvement or how that all works? Because I'm pretty sure our ordinance doesn't really cover this. So that's my comments. Okay, thank you, Board Member Teague and uh, Board Member Curtis. Um, thank you, thank you, um, Vice President Hom. I just wanna say that, that coming from the other side, um, from the development side, which is, is, is my background, I, I'm very impressed with the presentation that's been made by the developer here, the applicant. And, and I have to say that the number of decisions that have been made and the challenges coming with the financing of where it is today, with inflation the way it is today, with the labor market where it is today, they certainly have done a good job in terms of the trade-offs, which were required by the market and by the utilization of the space to maximize the amenities coming to the marketplace as well as keeping their costs within line. And the thing that, that is impressive is that the job that they've done in the previous development, which is the, the neighborhood surrounding this, I had the opportunity to be on the planning board at that time also and walk the units prior to the time that they were developed and now after they've done it in. And they've done one hell of a good job and my hat's off to them and I'm going to support this project. Thank you. Okay. Any other board members comments? Um, hey, board member, huh? It's okay. Ashish. Yeah, board it's member Yep. Please go ahead. Uh, appreciate the um, presentation by staff. And I think that the density is definitely welcomed. I would say that two things from hearing the public comment um, seems like definitely the developer could have got ahead of uh, having some conversations with with the current tenants, especially considering that this is supposed to be a value add to the community that's there right now. And the um, infrastructure that's being built is not only just for the new residents of the development, but of the existing residents as well. So I, if that was something that was a goal for the developer, it, it seems like it should have been something that was communicated pretty openly and clearly to the community as well. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that with the bike parking, I understand uh, not potentially having um, the ability, although there's a lot of open space on this um, overall site for um, the class two bike parking on, on, you know, in different locations, I would imagine. So I'm not quite clear how one's not able to achieve that unless you're just restricting it to the specific site boundary that's been defined by the new development. Uh, so I'm, I, I, I don't know how um, it's not possible, but uh, I, I guess that's where I, there might just be a difference of scale and understanding what's, what, what's really holding this back. And then um, as far as uh, class one bike parking for residents, there's a lot of high density bike parking solutions that don't take up as much space. Uh, I don't know if those have been explored so that you can find a balance between uh, the vehicular parking and the bike parking. I mean, we, we, we you know, as a community, we're trying to be bike first, uh, specifically for the residents. And we're also, um, in a way, seeing that 
usually this is something that's very much in demand uh, by by the residents uh, once once they do occupy these buildings. So uh, yeah, I, I would just I don't know how David you you described that staff was have had had these options for different ways of looking at how to approve the project with different uh, you know bike parking scenarios that you uh, put up on the screen. Uh, again, I'm not sure if I was clear on staff's recommendation of where to go here, or if it was more of an open um, kind of conversation that one was wanting to have. Uh, but those those are my comments, and I am curious about where staff's recommendation is specific to, to this topic. Thank you. Thanks. Staff, um, did you want to respond to Board Member Sahiba's uh, question before I yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what I can do is um, kind of share that last slide that I had um, with what would need to take place. Um, essentially, yeah, the, the applicant has uh, kind of demonstrated um, uh, through their application that uh, that I guess, yeah, they, they've done what is needed to uh, get their density or their yeah density bonus waiver for the bike parking. Um, so yeah, if, if staff would say that it's it's uh, something that can be approved uh, and you should should approve. Um, and so uh, bottom portion of the screen here kind of shows uh, the motion for approval would have to uh, make these amendments to the reso. Okay, thank you staff. And, uh... One member, Ariza, comments. Yeah, I I'm I would like some clarity on I have some comments, but I would like some clarity because this is an SB three thirty project. Must we uh, approve the waiver of the building height? Is that how it works, uh, or is I, that I, open to discussion? Yeah, so you would have to to make the finding that there is a uh, you know a preponderance of uh, evidence that there is a a huge impact on on the community in order to deny it. Otherwise, then yes, you do need to approve it. Yeah, the state density bonus law, the way it's written and set up, is um, the the developer upon meeting the requirements can ask for an unlimited number of waivers to development standards. In this case, the bicycle parking requirement, um, specifically the long-term bicycle parking requirement, uh, the developer is asking as a waiver. And Yeah, um, I see that there are multiple waivers. I'm kind right. of mostly and then concerned. In a, sorry to interrupt. Um, in addition to that, um, they are asking for uh, one concession, which uh, they are uh, uh, entitled to under state law, and they're using that one concession on the short-term bicycle um, parking, which is basically, I, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but it's uh, up to eight inverted U-racks. I mean, that would be how you would place that around the property to meet that requirement. But as um, the developer had explained that there are reasons for not providing that and therefore requesting a concession. So if the planning board wishes to approve it, I think the developer has laid out uh, all of the means um, to to satisfy state density bonus law, and David is also correct that if the planning board wishes to deny either, I think the waiver you would have to make a finding that not providing the bike parking would result in some adverse public health impact. So I think that is a difficult finding to make, but state law doesn't uh, preclude the or prevent the planning board for asking questions and understanding why they couldn't provide the short-term bicycle parking. 
Yeah, I, I'm not concerned about the short-term bicycle parking. I am concerned about the building height um, waiver, really, uh, literally. Um, I think um, the architect was saying they were trying to tie into the existing buildings, but I don't think that is true for the proposed massing. I don't, I don't see how the proposed building is tying into the existing context. To me, it looks like just this building kind of could be anywhere really. It's just kind of set there and it, it must be seven stories. Um, and that along with the shadow study to me seems concerning, but I understand that that's kind of the way to get to the density that the building wants to get to. Um, however, I, I personally would have preferred to see um, maybe a tower, even if it's more than seven stories, but at least the footprint is less than um, than what is currently shown. And it would also have less shade on the neighborhood and on the uh, on the adjacent buildings. So I don't know if that's a consideration or if we must actually approve what is presented to us because it's part of SD 330. Uh, so remember, if if I may respond. So I think those are good questions, but the under density bonus law, um, the, the board is uh, limited to evaluating the project as proposed. So for example, you, the board may not suggest changes that would alter the design of the project. In this case, uh, what's presented before you uh, was, I believe, a uh, originally a base plan, um, four-story of residential plus two um, subterranean parking uh, levels. And um, because the project is uh, providing affordable units, it's eligible for a density bonus. And to fit in the affordable units, the only way they can fit it onto this site plan, and the site plan is determined by the developer, and in the site configuration is also determined by the developer, um, they would need to, it justifies the height. I mean, in order to squeeze in those extra, um, I, sorry, I forget the number off the, my, top, the top of my head, the affordable units, they would need to make this a seven-story building. So from staff's perspective, that um, logic has been um, justified. And we cannot say, oh, no, developer, you need to build a, choose a different location of the site and build a shorter uh, building with a bigger footprint to accommodate the same units. We can't do that because that's changing the applicant's project. Does that make sense? Yeah, got it. Mm -hmm. So our, our hands are tied, basically. <laughs> um, I have a question to the developer, if if this is going to be an independent parcel, uh, presumably there will there be a fence around it or won't there be a fence around it? Thank you, There, that's a good question. There's no proposal or intention to have a fence around this building separating it. We have uh, the buildings that are out there today, the 150 townhomes, I believe it's 27 buildings. Um, they have fences around their private backyards uh, there is a fence around the existing uh, amenity buildings pool because that is required for safety reasons under California code. Um, so the pool area that serves this building um, will have a fence around that, um, but there is no intention of a fence to separate this building from the existing townhome buildings. Okay, thank you. 
Any other board comments? Uh, if not, uh, I, I'd like to kind of offer my comments and then uh, entertain a motion on the project. Uh, uh, first of all, I appreciate that this project is building housing that meets the, or housing element goals or ENA goals. So it's, it's very appropriate from member of housing units standpoint. And I totally understand that SB 330 really does put a constraint on a high bar for city to deny the project. Um, you know, the waivers are allowed by state law and, and the, it does require a pretty strong justification for a city to deny the waivers. So I understand that. And uh, staff did go through and uh, analyze that this project does does comply with the city's objective design standards. And those are all we can apply to this project under SB 330. Having said that, you know, I, I do agree with board member Ariza that it, it does, is a little jarring to me that you see these uh, two-story townhomes and then right next to it, suddenly there's a seven-story tower. Just, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, it just, there's a fit issue, but at the same time, I totally understand that the developer under the SB 330 has the ability to to propose that, that height in order to meet their density bonus requirement and exceed the current zoning. So um, I, 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 I'm still puzzled about the bike rack issue, but I'm not gonna push that issue. It seems like it's something that uh, could have easily been satisfied, but again, they, they were allowed to propose as a waiver and an incentive um, and uh, to, to allow the project to move forward. So with that, uh, oh, the other comment, and this is really to staff, I think this has come up several times. Board member Sahiba um, asked about a lighting plan. And given that this project is in such in close proximity to adjacent homes and given it's a seven story building, it, I, it would have been nice to include in the plans a lighting plan with, uh, to, to understand what type of impacts might have on adjacent residences. So I'd like to encourage staff to um, request a lighting plan for future applications, especially when they're in proximity to uh, residential units. Um, I think with that, um, entertain a motion from board member. Motion. <laughs> I'll move that the um, that the plan be approved, subject to the um, waiver of number three, allowing the the waiver of the the uh, the the um, temper the um, short term bike rack, not uh, omitting the short term bike racks, and also uh, the waivers with regard to the cost on May twenty second. Okay, okay. And also accepting the recommended staff amendments to the conditions. Yes. Okay. Do I uh, hear a second to that motion? Uh, who, sorry, missed, was that, oh, board member T. Okay. So we got a motion for approval from board member Curtis, second by board member T. So uh, staff, roll call, please. Sure. Uh, board member Homs. Aye. Board Member Curtis. Aye. Board Member Ariza. Aye. Board Member Saheba. 
Aye. Board member Teague. Aye. And that passes 5-0 uh, with board president Ruiz uh, recused. Okay, thank you applicants. Thank you staff for the presentation and congratulations. And at this point, I'm gonna turn the meeting back over to our president uh, Ruiz to continue the rest of the meeting. Thank you, board member Hom. Uh, moving on to agenda number 7B, um, 980 Island Drive, use permit review. Do we have a staff presentation? Um, yes, Brian McGuire here. Um, I can, we'll have a brief staff report. Um, good evening, President Ruiz, members of the planning board. Uh, Brian McGuire, planner two, presenting item 7B. This is a public hearing to review the traffic safety and circulation for a drive through Starbucks Cafe located at 980 Island Drive. The planning board condition of approval uh, in the 2020 use permit required a review of the business's impact on traffic safety and circulation 12 months after opening. The business began operations in October of 2021, which is why we're here tonight to hear and discuss that review. Since the original application, staff has been aware of concerns that high volumes associated with a drive-through Starbucks or similar drive-through coffee operation could impact traffic safety and circulation in the project vicinity. The original tenant improvements included extensive modifications to the vehicle circulation and queuing within the site to accommodate the expected volumes of customer vehicles. The current drive-through stack accommodates eight cars. Staff is not aware of any impacts to traffic safety and circulation in at least the last six months of operations since the worst of the pandemic-related staffing impacts on service-oriented businesses that we felt sort of at the beginning of this year during, during the Omicron wave. Um, that was this year by the way, for those keeping track of time. Uh, staff observed the drive-through operations directly on multiple occasions, including an extended visit during a recent weekday morning peak. From 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., there's a steady stream of customers arriving for the drive-through as well as dine-in service. On several occasions, the drive-through queue was full but never extended off the site across the sidewalk or into the roadway or anything like that. Cars would typically be able to move forward within 30 seconds or so. Um, in conclusion, staff believes the business has been operating in a manner consistent with the approved use permit, and it's not negatively impacting traffic safety and circulation. No changes are recommended to the current Starbucks drive-through operations at this time. The recommendation is to accept by motion the staff report on the drive-through cafe operations with regard to its impact on traffic safety and circulation. We're available to answer any questions. Um, the property owner's representative is here as well as representatives of Starbucks, including I believe Kevin Hogg, who is the local district manager for Starbucks and is most familiar with the operations at this location if you have questions. Thank you, Brian. Um, now that's open up to board clarifying questions. Does anyone have any questions? Please raise your hand. Seeing none, that's open for public comments. Do we have any? 
actually, I do have a question before we open up for public comments. Um, Brian, have we have we received any complaints from the neighbors regarding traffic or noise or anything during this last year? Um, I think in terms of the traffic, I don't think we had any um, formal issues. I, I was, you know, we were aware, um, as I mentioned, as I referred to um, sort of towards the beginning of the year when a lot of staffing shortages were experienced in, in service businesses, including the local Starbucks. You had several of the locations closed in town, and this one was the indoor you know, restaurant was closed and only the drive-through was open. Um, so that's basically the only way you could get your Starbucks in the city. Um, and so, you know, I did see anecdotal reports at that time, um, no formal complaints. There were discussions around um, when the construction was happening and when the business was first opening um, around the design review process and making sure that um, some of those conditions were met, but uh, I'm not aware of any formal traffic operation um, complaints that were raised. Thank you. Board Member Teague? I just wanted to confirm, we did notify everybody within 300 feet. Yes, with there was a 300-foot mailing to property owners and residents. Thank you. Any other board clarifying questions? Okay, now that's a move on to um, public comments. Do we have any public comments? No, no public comment at this time. Okay, thank you, Donnie. Um, so that's closed public comment session. Um, now, um, board discussions. Remember, Hong? You're on mute. You're still on Sorry about that. Um, I, I actually um, go to the Starbucks fairly frequently since it's kind of near where I live. Um, it seems to be operating fine. Um, it gets good business, so that's always good news to see a business be successful. I do notice there are occasions when the cars do queue up out into the street um during some busy periods but the i guess the good news perhaps is because the street is fairly wide at that location the queuing doesn't obstruct traffic so it's kind of like queuing up in like i would say the parking lane so it seems to operate sufficiently um i don't know how um when the city proceeds with the roundabout how that might impact the operation but uh currently it seems to be doing fine and get a steady stream of business. Thank you, Vice President Hom. Any further? Board Member Teak, please. Uh, I move that we accept staff's report and uh, authorize the continued use permit as specified. I second. I oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll go ahead. Go ahead. Well, somebody's okay. out. Okay, I'll go, go ahead and second. Either Mr. Hom or I will second. Take your choice. Oh, I'll, I'll yield to uh, you just say Board both Member Curtis to second. Go ahead. Okay. So we have a motion and a second. And I just want to say um, I actually visited this um, Starbucks, I think, for the first time um, last Sunday. 
and it was Sunday morning at 9 30 and it I was backed out onto the street but like you said it was moving we moved rather quickly um I think I was the last one I was not in the intersection if I was backed up all the way to the intersection I would be a little more concerned but I was just on the street so um I think it's probably because Sunday morning um lighter staff to who knew but um I hope that that's incidental. So with that said, um, I can support the, the motion as well. So um, Brian, would you mind a roll call vote, please? Sure. Uh, Board Member Arisa? Aye. Board Member Saheba? Aye. Board Member Curtis? Aye. Board Member Hom? Aye. Board Member Teak? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. That passes 6-0. Thank you, um, Brian. Let's move on to agenda item number 7C, public workshop to review the uh, and comment on draft res resolution containing findings of local climatic, geological, topographical, and environmental conditions as required to adopt Alameda local amendments to the 2019 California Energy Code and um, a draft ordinance amending the Alameda Muni Code by amending Article, oh, shoot, uh, Article One um, of Appendix Thirty-Three to adapt to adopt Alameda Local Amendment to the Twenty Twenty-Two Edition of California Green Building Standards to require newly constructed buildings to be all electric. Do we have a staff presentation? Good evening, uh, Chair Ruiz. This is Andrew Thomas, Planning Director. I'll, I'll be presenting tonight. I'm covering for Danielle uh, Mueller, who is our uh, Climate Change and Resiliency Manager. She couldn't come tonight. So um, I'll just make this brief. This um, Every three years, the City of Alameda adopts the latest edition of the uh, Uniform Building Code, the California Building Code. Um, and we have the ability to do what's called local amendments. Um, local amendments are allowed under California state law, provided that we have unique um, climatic or geologic or other reasons for needing those building code amendments. Um, uh, over the last uh, three years, we have uh, uh, maintained a local amendment to require all electric new construction in Alameda. Um, these local amendments to the California Building Code have to be amend have to be readopted every three years when you adopt the new version of the um, Uniform Building Code. So we are proposing to take to council the new Uniform Building Code, the 2022 um, version for adoption. We are proposing to uh, recommend a local amendment once again to require all electric new construction in Alameda. This is, um, you know, in as an important implementation measure to our climate action and resiliency plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, what is different this year is that we are also proposing uh, to expand the definition of new construction to include major remodels, where over 50% of the foundation is being expanded or or improved or over 50% of the floor areas being um, rehabilitated. Um, this is one more step in the effort to decarbonize 
Alameda's building stock. This is now we're talking about when major remodels occur, when when additions or modifications to residential homes, um, which are really designed to ensure that those homes last for another 50 years, that we start to decarbonize those homes. So there are a few exceptions in this local ordinance. Um, some of which we've had in place for the last three years, some of which are new. Um, some of the key exceptions, of course, are that uh, commercial cooking appliances and restaurants where gas is needed um, is can still um, occur. That's one of the exceptions. Space and water heating processes, equipments for laboratories, manufacturing or R&D uses. Um, and of course, if there are projects that have um, pre-existing valid planning entitlements or development agreements, which predate July 1st, 2021, when our first amendment was adopted. Um, the, uh, I think with that, um, I will conclude my presentation. Um, really what we're doing here tonight is we're getting um, the board and communities uh, feedback on these draft amendments. Um, we'll be taking these amendments to the council in December, so we will um, certainly um, uh, present any recommendations or adjustments that the planning board would like to make um, or recommend to the council when we take it to the council on, I think it's December 6th. Um, I'm available to answer any questions. Uh, I think we also have our consultant Farhad is here as well to help me answer any more technical questions if you have any. Thank you, Director Thomas. Now that's open up for board clarifying questions. Board Member Teague. Thank you. Uh, Andrew, I have two questions on page four. Um, other than repair or re reinforcement as defined in the California Building Code Section 202, what is that? I'm, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? And while you're doing that, can we get, uh, can we let Farhad in to help me answer some of these? He's there. He's, he's in. Uh, he's here, we, we are, you know, alterations that include replacement or addition of over 50% of the existing foundation for purposes other than a repair reinforcement as defined by the CBC section 202. So is that, Seismic foundation work, replacing your foundation. What what is excluded there? Um, Farhad, do you know the answer to that question? I don't. No, good, excellent. I'm going to turn it over to Farhad. The C, the Buildings Code defines repairs, the reconstruction or renewal of any part of an existing building for the purpose of its maintenance or to correct damage. So, if you're enhancing your structural foundation to uh, a structural integrity that is, uh, you know, I think the intent of this code is if you're adding a second story, for example, and you're bolstering that structural foundation to be able to withhold, you know, hold up that second story. So you're Okay, but if you're doing seismic retrofit, you're replacing your brick foundation with concrete, do you trigger this code? I would believe that would be the case. Uh, so again, let me look at this definition of repair. Reconstruction or renewal of any part of an existing building for the purpose of its maintenance or to correct damage. Um, this would probably be at the, at the discretion of the building official. <laughs> I, I don't know, Andrew, if you wanna 
Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, my take, I mean, once again, this, I would, <laughs> I would agree with Farhad. At the end of the day, the, the building official decides, but um, uh, one of the triggers is replacement or addition of over 50% of the existing foundations um, for purposes other than a repair or reinforcement. So if, if it's just for the purposes of reinforcement, then it wouldn't trigger it. So reinforcement is, is seismic considered reinforcement then? Yes, I would think so. Yes. May I just jump in and answer? Um, we had a very similar question at HAB uh, earlier this month, and I believe if this was like the earthquake bolt and brace program um, sponsored by the state, then this would not be subject to it. Okay. And then what is a tenant improvement? It's not defined anywhere. So if I'm making an improvement for my tenant, is that a tenant improvement? Is it only when the tenant's making the improvement? So what is a tenant improvement? Yeah, a tenant improvement's typically used uh, mostly in non-residential, to my knowledge, when there is a core and shell or a leasable space and the resident comes in and installs their own lighting or HVAC systems, um, envelope if they wanna change the, the windows. Okay, so, so we're talking about commercial tenant improvements. So like for a triple net kind of building. That's actually, right. Yeah, actually, may I also jump in and answer that? <laughs> the word tenant in here isn't specific to landlord-tenant relationship. It really just um, under the billing code uh, refers to an occupant. So if, if uh, the occupant is improving the building, then that is not considered new construction. It's like a remodel. I think that's all that means here. So the word tenant doesn't have a specific meaning to landlord or tenant, if I understood your question. So if someone other than the building owner does the improvement, it's not covered. If, if that person is somehow has right of occupancy. Yeah, it's just a, a tenant improvement basically just refers to an interior remodel, essentially. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I, I worry about this preventing us improving our existing aged rental stock and triggering things such that landlords have even less incentive to improve the property. I, on behalf of staff, I just, this is Andrew Thomas. Uh, this is the trickiest part of this ordinance. We're moving from new construction when somebody's taking a, um, you know, just building a building from scratch. And now we're starting to expand these electrification requirements into a remodel and how we, what do we define as the threshold for when you're going to re uh, require these. Um, I will point out that, um, it, the electrification requirement only applies to that, those portions of the buildings that you're remodeling. Um, and, but we have to readopt this every three years. I mean, we have to be this, the climate action program, the efforts by the city of Alameda to reduce uh, greenhouse gases from our existing building stock. I mean, we're going to have to be tracking this very carefully over the next few years and seeing how it's working. Um, and then, we will have to readopt it in three years. If we like the way it's worked, we'll readopt it as is. We may be expanding it. We may be re revising it. So, I mean, I think a lot of your questions are a lot of the same questions we've had. Um, and, um, you know, I sort of our, I think our, our advice is 
to the council would be let's get something adopted. If we can fine tune these definitions so they're even more precise, that would be great. But um, we're going to really figure out how this works once we adopt it and we start implementing it over the next few years. It would certainly be a shame if people avoided getting permits because of this. That's something we're going to be looking at very closely. Yeah, or if they, you know, if, if this ends up being such a heavy cost that people are just walk away from their efforts to remodel their buildings. I mean, we want people reinvesting in their buildings and we want them to reinvest um, in a way that's um, climate friendly. Um, <laughs> that's a delicate balance. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Andrew. On page six, it does say you have to go to all electric. It's not just what you've done. So it, it's not limited to what you're doing. Existing appliances that are not included in the scope of the qualifying alteration are exempt. Uh, Exception number three. In the, I think it's in the section above, the exception for that. That's the foundation. Go to That's, the next section, that, which talks about a, not the foundation. Now, the, the big thing is 50% of the framing, which is really most of the house. So the trigger for that is it, it's further down. That's the existing foundation. There's a similar one, which is. Uh, what are you looking for? There's this has this has two sections. Uh, Section five one hundred six is the commercial. Four one hundred six. Yeah, thirteen dot one. There's the foundation plus fifty percent of the existing framing above the plate, although. Or yeah, the above the plate, which is the remodel. So if you do over 50%, you have to go to all electric. And what I don't know, if we scroll through this, the ex ex proposed exceptions, which are existing appliances, not within, let's say you're remodeling over 50% of your home, but you're not remodeling your kitchen. That would be exception number three under 4.106. And we're currently in 5.106. So this is for commercial buildings. And then 4.106 would cover the single frame. Got it. There it is. There we go. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate the clarification. Member Hall. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Couldn't hear you a little bit. I just had some uh, clarifying questions for Andrew or Fahad. Uh, was I met before already? Anyway, uh, just a couple of clarifying questions. You mentioned that there's a, a couple of, like, for the first questions regarding new construction. You, uh, Andrew, you mentioned there's a continuing exceptions for for certain like restaurants type uses and also R&D lab 
kind of uses. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any exceptions that are, are being removed in this latest or being proposed for removal in this late next version of the REACH code uh, for council's consideration? One of the exceptions we're removing is the uh, exception for ADUs. For ADUs. Uh, accessory, accessory dwelling units, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and now what we've, what we have found is that um, there, there's been very little demand to put gas into mm -hmm. accessory dwelling units. Um, okay, so that's kind of like one change for the new construction. Okay. Yeah. Um, does, for kind of the 50% rehab portion that you explained, does, does that also exempt if a use is primary use for like a restaurant use or you know lab uh, R&D use. So if the building is occupied by that use, would it also be exempt from that 50% uh, major rehab or expansion? I think the, the intent here is, try, is to try to electrify as much of the building as possible and prepare it and or prepare it for electrification in the future. So if a if somebody is remodeling a commercial building, an R and D, let's say, yeah, say, say it's an R and D building, the tenants and R and D. And I, I think what we're trying to what we're trying to create here is an ordinance whereby we would say, okay, you're 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 triggering the electrification ordinance. Mm -hmm. We want you to um, replace as many of the appliances in the areas of the building that you're remodeling um, with electric. If they are, if they have certain um, facilities or or machinery that requires gas because of the nature of their business, the R and D or the the restaurant, um, they are they we can grant them exceptions for those appliances or those mm. those facilities. But if somebody's remodeling that much of their building, whether it's commercial or residential, we certainly want to try to move them towards electrification on all the other appliances, the hot water heaters, the things like that, if we, if we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you there know, might I mean, be some flexibility for, yeah, depending on the appliances and the use. Right. Okay. We're, you know, it's, this is, this is an area that where we're, we're trying to push, residents and businesses to reinvest in their buildings. We want them to reinvest. We want them to move to cleaner electrical power, but we recognize there needs to be some flexibility and some exceptions on the ones we've sort of, you know, called out specifically are commercial uh, kitchens for restaurants. Um, some, uh, you know, biotechnology research and development might need gas for certain kinds of procedures or manufacturing processes. Um, you know, we don't want to prevent those kinds of businesses operating in Alameda because they can't move to an electric appliance, but um, we're going to try to push them as, as far as we can. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks. And then my final question and board member T kind of, kind of asked it a little bit, but I just wanted to further clarify, does this, the new provisions would apply to single family homes if someone were proposing a major expansion or yes. reconstruction. Okay. Yes. You know, it's, our, our thought was like if, you're, if you're putting that much money into your the remodel of your home, mm 
um, put some money into electrifying as much of it as you can. Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, in simple terms, that's what we're really trying to do. Um, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're rebuilding 50% of your foundation, if you're remodeling more than 50% of your house, you're probably <laughs> trying to give it another 50 years of life. Um, you're trying to, you're trying to extend the life of that, of that structure. So if it's going to be around for another 50 or hundred years, let's, 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 and we're going to make that kind of investment. Let's try to encourage you to um, move as much as you can to cleaner power source for your appliances. And that would be the case, even if they were proposing a major kitchen remodel, just being hypothetical. Well, it's 50% like, of the foundation or 50% of the, um, uh, essentially the floor area. Um, but if you're not touching your kitchen, let's say you're like completely you're, you're remodeling. Adding, you're adding a couple of bedrooms. You have a right. large lot or something. But you're not touching your kitchen. You're, yeah. You don't need to, this this ordinance does not require that you tear out all your kitchen appliances. Oh, okay. So so if you do the remodeling and it falls a complete tear out of right. the kitchen or it's significant, then it would kick in. Yes, that's right. Okay. If you're... Okay, no. Thanks, Andrew, for clarifying. Thank you, Board Member Hom. Um, Board Member Curtis, did you have your hand up? Oh, he's not there. Okay. Um, when he comes back, I'll ask him if he still has any questions. But um, I do have a few questions for you. Uh, Andrew, would you mind clarifying that um, the ordinance at hand is the revision such as renovation or a major alteration is in addition to what is being, in, uh, what is gonna take effect in January 1st, 2023 state. That's right, this is okay. above and beyond. Above this would and be a beyond. local amendment. Okay, thank you. And it is, and the state requires to adopt every three years to coincide with the code cycle, correct? That's right. So we, okay. every three years, we adopt the uniform building code, which is the same building code that everybody in California uses. Right. What we, what, what we are doing, what we're discussing is what we tonight is what's called a local amendment. So okay. this is an additional requirement that would only apply here in Alameda. And then uh, two more specific questions. The one is going back to the um, 5.1, 5.106.1. 13.1, one of the exceptions, exception number one. Um, this is again applying, talking about non-residential buildings. Exception number one says commercial food heat processing equipment in non-residential. Thank you. Thank you. Um Alan, I think it's you that's sharing the screen. Thank you. Yep. Uh, yes, that's it. That's what I'm looking at. When it says in non-residential buildings contain, containing located in a place of public accommodation. And it puzzles me, one, how the sentence is reading, and two, why in a place of public accommodation, that's the only place that we're giving exception. What if uh, it's a commercial food processing, heat processing equipment that is not, that doesn't have any, public access is just a food mm -hmm. manufacturing such as pizza or firebrand. Um, are, they, are they afforded the exception or not? 
And also, I don't know where that containing comes in, um, but anyway. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, I think this sentence could use some wordsmithing um, for sure. Um, I, the, I, I think, and, and Farhad, just jump in because you, you, you may, if you have uh, any thoughts on the phrase, located in a place of public accommodation. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm curious if you feel like that phrase is essential and if so, what, what do you think it's sure. for? I'm kind of wondering whether we even need it. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, so um, place of public accommodation is a, is a, is a definition defined in the building code. So it's a facility, I have the definition up here, a facility operated by a private entity whose operations affect commerce and fall within a bunch of different categories. Some of those are place of lodging, but it includes a restaurant, it can include a movie theater, a bakery, a grocery store. So um, it's, it's basically a, a business um, that you're, you're using. So it, th that term is intended to include businesses where the public can, act, can come and access um, uh, for the purposes of a transaction. So it's, it's, trying to, it's trying to capture that it is a uh, kind of a for-profit commercial kitchen. If it's, if it's, if it's a, um, as like the board member was asking, if it's a catering company where the public, you and I can't go and have dinner there, but they cook food, it's commercial, um, is, does that mean that they would not be able to have this exception? Right, like like the Firebrand uh, Bakery example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, I'm looking at this. It does include the definition. Does include a bakery. Um, however, at bakeries we can buy <laughs> things, and Firebrand is more of a uh, a manufacturing. A manufacturing, exactly. So it pro I don't I don't think it would actually include those. Um, and then the other the other good example is the um, you know Pete's. Coffee is out at the business park and they, you know, they right. roast, you know, that's not a place where you and I go get coffee. It's a place where they roast the beans and then distribute right. them. Right. And there are electric alternatives available mm -hmm. for those uh, process as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we can, we can workshop this and, and, and see how necessary it is. I will say the original intent was to ensure that, kind of nonprofit facilities or um, uh, places that weren't intended for public business were not necessarily being subject to overly onerous requirements. That was the original intent. Okay, understood. Um, and one last question that I have, can you clarify that there are two um, resolution date, effective date, um, and one is the one for, hang on a second. The one for the um, draft council resolution of local and climatic finding is effective immediately. And then the draft ordinance is effective January 1st, 2023. Can you clarify the difference between the two? Yeah, I think um, the ordinance has a first and second reading and then becomes effective a year late, uh, no, excuse me, 30 days after that. Okay. Um, the, the, the findings of climatic geological or topographical you know like that's those are the findings those are typically adopted separately in resolution and that's where the council says look this is what we're saying about our community this is why we're different than everyone else this is why we need 
these new laws that don't apply elsewhere in California, but only here in Alameda. Um, so that, of course, once you once they approve that resolution, that it's final. That's it becomes effective immediately. But the actual ordinance needs a second reading and then a, a 30 day statute before it takes effect. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Um, any other board com questions? And uh, board member Curtis, earlier on, you had your hand up. Uh, has your questions been answered? Yes, I, I was just concerned with any unintended consequences um, with with the changes that were made with regard to the building code and on rental properties and what landlords could do, what they had to do. And with our rental ordinance, the way it was, would it handcuff a, a landlord from, from making an improvement that was necessary for safety or some other reason because he could not pass any part of that cost on with increased rent. Mm -hmm. And and that was a concern that I had. Alan uh, did a good job of, of exploring that with with uh, Andrew and I, I'm satisfied that, that it'll work itself out. I'm just concerned that if we didn't make those improvements that it would, it would degrade the quality of life for the tenant and also um, affect the, the either the seismic safety or the safety of the building in some other way. And I was concerned with those, quote, unintended consequences. And I, I think this pretty much covers the elements that we have, that there's no sense in overthinking it. And that was my, that's the reason I took my hand down. Thank you. Just wanted Long to way check. around. <laughs> Just <laughs> wanting to check. Okay, thank you. Now that's open up for public comments. Um, do we, I don't see any hands up. Um, Dunning, do you see anyone? I do, I do not. I don't. I believe there is no public comment at this time. Okay, sounds good. Now um, let's open up for board discussion. Any um, discussions? Um, just want to let everyone know that we do need two motions. One is to recommend council to make resolution um, to make the one is to recommend council to to um, approve the resolution of local and climatic findings. And second one is the actual ordinance. Um, so do we have motion for the first one? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm confused. That's not listed in the agenda item. Well, so per my conversation with um, Alan, um, he said that we do need, we need two motions. To, um, to it's not clarified in the agenda item that we would make such a motion. It That's, says review and comment. That's what we've noticed. This, it, right. So you don't have to take an action tonight. We don't have yeah, to take an action. It's a public workshop, right? It's a public workshop. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so I just have one comment. I would like you to mm -hmm. really review that um, that exception that I pointed out. This is around the commercial kitchens and the um, public accommodations. Yeah. Right. That sentence needs worth smithing, and we need to think about our food manufacturing businesses. Yep. Just have a quick question on that, if I may. Yes. Do those occupancies, like the food manufacturing, does that fall under an F 
occupancy, the factory, or would that be some other occupancy? Because that, that is, the F occupancy is what it is exactly. Um, please discuss that with building official. Okay. It may be, Farhad. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll circle back with Eric and the building official on that tomorrow. Okay, with that said, then given that no motion is needed and that's um, any further comments on agenda 7C? Yes, board member Hong. I'm just, just a general comment, you know. Um, it's, it, first of all, it's good to see that city of Alameda is, you know, is continuing to push the envelope and wanting to be ahead of the curve as far as the state requirements. And my understanding is that you know, this is an evolving area, as Andrew mentioned. So is kind of a kind of a test period, and I I do hear that the next round of the uh, building code is going to get into the energy code. We'll get into starting to require, you know, actually require uh, electrification of major rehab, however that's defined. So it's kind of this gradual procession, and the city of Alameda is just kind of taking the lead, as well as a number of other cities also so in general you know without getting into the details um, the direction the sea is headed with the reach code is actually a positive one thank you board member Hong. any other comments with that said let's close agenda 7c now moving on to meeting minutes 7A, um, any comments or corrections? Board member Hall. You're on mute. Sorry about that, keeps on. I, I spoke to Alan about this earlier um, regarding the motion, regarding uh, about the, the project where we discussed trying to clarify the amount of retail use and the actual motion wasn't quite clear to me and maybe for future reference it might be clarified uh, what what the actual motion was to avoid confusion down the road so I don't know whether and Alan you had a chance to take a look at that and maybe propose some some clarifying language Oops, you're on oh, mute. Yes. I was hoping to pull that up onto the screen. Um, just one moment here. So this is regarding the um, Block 11 building. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think most of them- Not Block 11, but Site A and- Right, uh, right, right. Exactly. Um, I guess the- the part that I wasn't clear about, let's see. There would be also some wording about not dropping below a certain amount. And sorry, the, the everyone's little video was, I can't cut off the, the right-hand side. And there's phrase about complying with zoning or something along that line. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, let me kind of reduce the, and they would follow the planning and zoning rules 
of the date that this was agreed on. What, I guess I'm not clear what that actually means. Uh, let's see, board member, where do you see that? Oh, it's kind of like um, on the second line at, towards the end where it says, and they would follow the planning and zoning rules of the date that this was agreed on. I'm not, I'm not clear. I don't recall exactly what that pertained to. Uh, that might be related to the uh, original development agreement and when that was approved and what sort of commitment made, well, what's, what commitment was made by the developer at the time for the amount of um, retail. Okay. So, so, yeah. so be good to kind of clarify that. Yes. That, that pertained to the data Pertaining, development agreement. Correct. Is that what it was for? Yes. To? Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, I would suggest that. Uh, Assuming this clarification doesn't require an emotion or anything, just a, a clarification I, of the action. But I'll leave it to the city attorney to see if we can uh, just simply clarify. We can do that as part of uh, the board's motion tonight to approve the minutes. Okay, if we can do that, we'll not have to reconsider the motion. That would be ideal. So it's really what follow the planning and zoning rules um, of the date of the defilement agreement. Right. Makes sense. Okay. And also, um, Alan, stay on that page. Okay. If you go one, two, there's a typo um, where it says, probably midway up the page, where it says Speaker Hill was concerned that this wouldn't. Yeah, right there. Be, wouldn't be able to. Yeah, then correct. Then be, mm -hmm. be corrected. Okay. Um, so if those are the only two amendments, uh, I'll make a motion to approve the amendments with those two uh, clarifications. Uh, Chair Ruiz, we actually would need to uh, open this up for public. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, that's so what I would like to do is, uh, can I open up for public comments and then do the second one and then take vote for both of them or should I run them separately? I'll run them separately. Okay, that's open up for public comments. There is no public comments at this time. Okay. Uh, board member Hom, do you have further questions or comments? No, I, okay. no, I would member, offer the, the motion to approve the minutes. Okay, as amended. As amended, yes. Thank you. Board member Curtis? I, I, would, I would just make a friendly suggestion with regard to the language rather than the motion say as amended as corrected. We're not amending the motion, we're correcting the motion. And I think that that, that more accurately um, reflects the motion. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I'll kind of amend my the wording of my motion to prove the uh, minutes as corrected. Board member Curtis, do you have further comments? Your hand is still up. Yes, I forgot to take it down. We're, we're talking about the minutes for July 25th, correct? Correct. Right. That one only. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Yes, I second it. Thank you, Board Member Marisa. Um, please roll call vote. Board Member Arisa. Aye. Board Member Curtis. Aye. 
Board Member Saheba? I have to abstain. I wasn't present. Board Member Hum? Aye. Board Member Teak? Aye, abstain. And President Ruiz? Aye. That passes 402. Okay, now moving on to uh, meeting minutes. Agenda item 8B, meeting minutes for September 12. Do we have any corrections? Let's open up for public comments. Do we have any pu public comments? Uh, there are no, no uh, public speakers. Thank you. Um, seeing that there are no comments, do we have uh, a motion? Yes, I move to approve uh, meeting minutes from September 12th. Yes, September 12th. Thank you. Do we have a second? I'll go ahead and second it. Thank you. Um, roll call. Roll call vote, please. Board member Arisa? Yes. Board member Curtis? Abstain. Board member Seba? Abstain. Board member Teak? Aye. Board member Hum? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. That also passes 402. Thank you. Um, staff communications? Uh, yes. So just first off, um, I want to let the board know that your approval of the uh, wireless facility at 916 Union Street, that was called for review by the city council. And um, we currently anticipate a hearing date before council of January 3rd. Um, so the, the call for review was really based on the applicant not providing an adequate um, alternate sites analysis. So um, I think uh, we're working. With, well, we're currently working with the applicant um, to further develop that. that develop that. The um, second thing would be uh, related to your next meeting. Um, I think the meeting of November twenty eighth will be canceled, and then following that, uh, the last meeting of the calendar year will be. Uh, Monday, December the 12th. And on that agenda, we plan to bring you the um, uh, ho another housing project. Um, this is at the former Penzarl site and involving the final segment of the Clement Avenue extension. So with that, that's the uh, staff update. Thank you. Um, do we have any, moving on to item number 10, written communications. Do we have any written communications? Uh, none other than those uh, included on the agenda items. Thank you. Um, board communications. Do we have any board communications? Yes, board member Teague. Thank you. Um, I had some uh, community members reach out to me regarding the housing element and the zoning uh, amendments that we've changed. And I did review what's going to the city council and it reflects what we have asked for. Um, and there was a question about the, the 
adaptive reuse, and I do not believe that the housing element conflicts with what we're doing in the zoning. I think the zoning makes it very clear what we're doing. Um, so in case there's someone from the public who was interested in that and was concerned, uh, I did actually review it and it looks to match with the intent and motions that we made. Thank you staff for doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Um, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic not on the agenda under this item by submitting speaker information slips. Do we have anyone? I don't see any hands up. With that said, the meeting is now adjourned. And thank you, everyone. Have a great holiday. Thank you. Have a great holiday. Be safe. Mm -hmm.